400 years. We knew because we had been listening, in a sense. My job, my job was to listen. People who talk a lot, we don't call them wise, do we? No, there are a lot of other words we use to describe them and wise is not one of them. In my position, I look for signs everywhere. I watched the stars in the sky. I watched them and tried to interpret what they were telling us. I read of a star that would announce the birth of a new king. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a star appeared. This star was different. It was a beacon in the night. And after watching it for some time, I felt this was the star the Jews had been looking for. The one foretold in their ancient scriptures, the star of the Messiah. So I followed it. There were a few of us, and yes, we actually followed a star. It was strange, but it led us. It moved, and we followed. And eventually, it led us to Jerusalem. And that's where we met Herod. He claimed that he also wanted to worship the Messiah. So he asked us, no, he demanded that once we found the newborn, we return to him. But we were warned in a dream not to trust this man. For over two years we journeyed with the star guiding us all the way to Judea. And then it stopped. Our journey ended not at a palace fit for a king, but at the home of a peasant. This was it. We gathered our thoughts, our gifts, and did what we could to contain our emotions. And behind those doors, we found a new king, a king who commands the movement of the stars of the sky, and yet came to live among his people. God was finished being silent. He spoke, and his word became flesh to dwell among his people. We knelt down that night. Yes, we kneeled before this baby boy. Each of us laid our gifts at his feet. We had to. 400 years of silence were broken by the cries of the new king. Yes, he spoke, and we, we worshiped. All right, we are wrapping up our series, the first Christmas series, as we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at different characters from the story of Christmas. And it's been a lot of fun getting to know each and every character. Today, you just heard from the wise man. Uh, the wise man is our last one that we're going to be looking at today. And uh, before we start off into new stuff in the new year. So, but the wise man is a really, really interesting character. Uh, and we're going to take the time this morning to kind of get inside the perspective of the wise man. And so I'm actually going to do something this morning that uh, uh, I get to do every so often. It's a lot of fun. I'm actually going to be preaching to a select group of people who are going to be out there this morning. If you're a non-Christian this morning, I am going to be talking to you. If you're a non-Christian this morning, I'm going to be focusing and primarily talking to you. If you're a Christian this morning... Take notes, will ya? Take notes, listen in, because we are going to take the time to look at the wise men of today. Because one thing you probably don't realize is that the wise men in Jesus' day were not Jewish. 
they were not part of God's people. They were not, they were not individuals that had a long-established relationship with the living God. The wise men of the time of Jesus were people who were seeking out this, this God that they had heard about, that they have seen working in the world through the stars and whatnot. And so they were seeking him out. And so the, the, the wise men of then continue to exist today. As wise men today, people seeking out this living God. And so today, I'm going to be primarily talking to those of you who are seeking the living God. Those of you who have heard about this God, have seen things happen in this world, and maybe in your own life or in the life of others. And you've started a journey, a spiritual journey of exploring who is behind all that's happening in our world and in your life who is this God? You are seeking just as the wise men were seeking in the time of Jesus. So I'm going to be primarily speaking to non-Christians. Christians, take note. This is really important for you, too, uh, because it's important for you to know how your words and your witness, your life, relates to and informs the non-Christian. Okay, Christians, I don't know if you know this, you have a direct impact on non-Christians and how they view and understand Jesus Christ and the living God. So please, take notes. Think about this, okay? So here we go. We're going to dive in. This message is primarily for the wise men of today, those of you who are seeking uh, the living God. And uh, if you think about the wise men back then, they were men who probably came from, uh, the, they say, the Bible says, the east uh, we're in Matthew chapter 2, by the way. If you are a Christian and you want to whip out a Bible or a Bible app, a U version, something like that, we're in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to be walking through a couple of verses there. Uh, but these are men who came from primarily the east, would have been ancient Persia. Uh, these are guys probably of affluence. These are guys that probably already had an established faith. They probably already had a religious set of beliefs, a belief system established. It would have been Zoroastrianism or astrology was really big, right? Astrology makes sense because uh, the text tells us they were looking at the sky. They were looking at stars. And so these are people, these wise men, these are people who have experimented and, and have started some sort of formation of their own spiritual walk. And, and they've realized, man... It just ain't happening quite so much. That there are still things in their life they can't explain, they don't understand, and they're seeking further meaning, further purpose. They probably were wealthy. They probably were affluent. They had the resources to make the trip and to travel. And at the end of it, they kicked Jesus some help too financially. And so these are guys who are probably affluent, probably had power and influence in their own uh, world uh, experience. They were probably, I mean, these are influential wealthy people who, according to the world, has everything that you could really want and yet still have come to a place where they are seeking something more. They have exhausted what the world has to offer. They've come to a place in their life where they realize, man, this whole money thing doesn't really bring meaning to life, does it? This whole power and influence thing just doesn't seem to really make that much a difference in my life like I thought it could or thought it might. And so they've begun seeking something more. And they've heard about this Jewish God, this Jewish people who claim to know some living God. And so now they've taken the time to go and check it out and seek 
Whatever it is that these Jewish people claim to have with this living God, they want a piece of that too. And that's the case for people today. People today uh, continue to do this. They are exhausting uh, the opportunities of the world. They come to a place in time in their life. They got the big house and they got the great career and they got the this and they got the that. And they're like, man, now what? There's got to be more to life than this. And so you, you might be at that place where you are beginning a spiritual journey to say, look, there's got to be more to life than what I've already thought. There's got to be more. I'm willing to put myself out there and start to see these Christians claim to know this living God. I'll check it out. I'll take the journey. And I'll go see who it is these Christian people claim to know. Just like the wise men all that time long ago. So, uh, first thing I want you to know, uh, these wise men took the initiative to begin this journey. This isn't one of those things where you're sitting back on your laurels and just hanging out, doing life, right? These guys have taken the time, they've taken the energy to get up, start moving, and go explore who this living God might be. Go seek and chase down what might be going on with this Jewish claim to know a living God. And so they took the initiative. And it's not just this mamsy-pamsy, yeah, we'll just check it out or whatever. It's a, no, we're going to go and we're going to go look into this. We're going to find out more about this. And so that's what the wise men did back then. And let me tell you, they were rewarded for that. Their seeking was, was rewarded. They experienced something along their journey. They ended up meeting this living God. And so if you're at a place in time in your own life where you are beginning this journey, keep at it. If you've been sitting back and waiting and just not happy, take some steps. You already have if you've come to church or if you're listening online. That's a great step towards learning and knowing who is this living God that, that, that the Jewish people knew and know and, and that the Christian community claims to know as well, okay? So first major thing, of course, is taking the initiative to start the journey. It, it says it like this, <clears throat> excuse me, it says it like this in Matthew 2, uh, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east. They came from the east. That's probably that Persian empire again. And they came to Jerusalem. So they got up and they traveled a really far, really long ways and arrived at Jerusalem. When they got there, they began to ask directions. Where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed, observed his star at rising and we have come to pay him homage. What's great about this story too is that um, the, the wise men in their journey understand that there are no, this is not going to be a quick, simple thing. This is a long progress. This is not a quick, easy journey. This is a lifelong experience of exploring the living God. And so they journey from the far east and they come searching and they come to a place where they hope to find answers. And then they ask this question, where is this king of the Jews, this child who's been born. We've seen that God is doing something in the world, and we want to pay homage. We want to check it out. We want to see for ourselves what's really going on. And I love the principle that's behind this. You ready? Here's the principle that's behind it. Excuse me. If you're a non-Christian, you need to know this. This is important. You don't need all the answers 
You don't have to have perfectly formed opinions, and you don't need to have this clear, tidy timeline of when all of this is going to make sense. What you do need to start this journey, to check things out, is a clear intent. Is the willingness to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to see what's going on with this living God that people claim to know. That's all you need. You don't have to have life squared away. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything all together, a nice tidy bow. You just tied a lot of bows for Christmas. and right, We do that with our lives where we present ourselves in this perfect little box and this perfect little bow. And, and You don't have to have things all figured out, a nice tidy bow around your life to start to get, to get close to and to explore a relationship with the living and eternal God. You should know that. We as Christians, we do a bad job of communicating this. We do a bad job of communicating this. And so if, if you've heard that, you've got to have everything right and squared away. I'm sorry, it's not true. You can see the wise men. That was not the case. And guess what? For you, it's the same. All you need is a clear intent, a clear desire to find out who is this living God that's at work in our world. That's what you need. Second thing that I love about this story, big thing. It's okay to ask questions, learn as you go, and just kind of watch. Um, Christians, we do a lot of funny stuff. I don't know if you've noticed that before. We're going to have like snack time in a bit. And most people were like, what's up with snack time? It's like, this is different. I wasn't expecting that, right? And we use funny words that nobody else uses. Grace. And we name our children Grace. It's a beautiful name. Nothing against it. But no one knows what it means unless you come to church and you learn what grace means, right? And so we use funny words and we do funny things. And we do, there's a, every so often we do this. We're going to do something awesome this morning. We're going to have a moment where, where, where um, people stand up and they, uh, uh, young people confess that they believe. It's incredible. It's one of like our biggest, biggest moments to celebrate. Why do we do that? Why does that happen? What is it? One of the things that's great about the wise men's story is that it gives permission to ask questions when you don't know the answer. That's okay. There's another thing. Christians, we do a bad job at this. Have you ever been to a church where it's like, you can't ask questions? Ever been there? Ever had that before? Like, questions is shunned. Like, no, no. You're supposed to go along with whatever you see. And you can't ask any questions. Just go with the flow. We don't want to be embarrassed. Right? That happens at churches. And so people are put in positions, non-Christians come into a church and they don't know what's going on and they feel really awkward and nobody else is asking questions and so they think they can't ask questions. The wise men's story shows it's okay to ask questions when you don't know. I'll give you a personal example of my own life. When I was in college, um, I was fortunate, to go, fortunate enough to grow up in the faith. And so I've been walking this spiritual journey for a long time. But not everyone has had that experience before. And I sat down at a Bible study, and it was really cool. The leader was there. I didn't have to lead it. That was cool. And I got to sit down, and I was just like a participant, right? And then this really hot chick sat next to me. It's little blondie. And so she sat down, and I sat down, and we, like, opened our Bibles up, and we're, like, talking and hanging out and getting to know people, right, right? And the, the leader of the Bible study says, uh, open, your, open your Bibles to Second Timothy. 
So I'm like, right? I'm flipping to 2 Timothy, okay? And, And I noticed the girl next to me is like looking at me. She's looking at her Bible, looking at mine, looking at me. She's doing like one of these, like, what do I do? You know? She had no clue. She didn't know where second, she didn't know what a second Timothy was. She knew she was supposed to bring this book because that was important. But beyond that, she didn't know. And she had the courage and the humility to lean over and say, what am I supposed to do? And so I helped her. Oh, we're turning to second Timothy. The Bible is a bunch of books. This is one of the books in the Bible. It's a book of books. Let me help you. Right? As a side note, guys, if a chick digs your Bible nerdiness, hold on to that chick. I did. It's worked out really well. <laughs> I'm a big fan, okay? So when you can wow her, I know exactly where Second Timothy is. Let me show you. You know, this is a good thing. Um, yes, that was, it's my wife, Patty. She had the courage and the humility to step up and to say, I don't know. Teach me. Because I don't have that same background you do. I've begun my spiritual journey at a different stage, at a different point, and so I'm now asking questions. And it's okay for me to ask questions because thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago, wise men did the exact same thing because they didn't know. They asked a question, and as a result, they got the opportunity to meet the living God in the flesh because they had the courage and the humility to ask the question. Sometimes I think the wise men are really wise women because they stop to ask directions, and guys are really bad at that, right? Have the humility, have the courage to stop and ask questions when you don't understand. It's, it's, it's so important. Here's what they ask. They go to the Jewish people and they say, Hey, where is the child who's been born the king of the Jews? We've observed God's doing something in our world. We've seen his star at the rising and have come to pay him homage. And so... Um, Here's, here's one of the things you should know if you're a non-Christian. Here is how the Jewish people respond, and this is often how Christians, we respond. Uh, we quote Scripture at people. Uh, scripture is, is, is another word for the Bible. We quote the Bible at people. So if you're a non-Christian and you ask a question, just be forewarned, we will hopefully, probably, take you into the Bible because that's where we as Christians go. It's a collection of stories and narratives about how God has been working in our world and in communities throughout all of time. And so that's where we go to find uh, answers, to find meaning, to find direction, and to get to know this God that we know on a deeper level. We go to the Bible. And so hopefully uh, you will have someone take you into the Bible when you do have a question. Okay, let me talk quickly to Christians. Christians, you need to know your Bibles. Okay? This is one of the reasons why. You need to know it. You need to show up to worship so Pastor Bob and I can take you into it. You need to be plugged into a small group so you're studying it with others. You need to be doing it at your own time, at your own convenience, with a cup of coffee in the morning, wherever, whenever. You need to know your Bible because there's going to be opportunities where people who don't know are going to ask questions and you have a chance to bring a witness and a testimony you have a chance to point them, to give them directions on how to know and experience the living God. You need to know your Bibles, okay? Dead silence, okay. Give me a robust okay on the count of three. One, two, three. 
Thank you. That's important. All right, moving on. This is what they do. This is exactly what happened with the wise men. The wise men show up, they ask directions, and the Jews are smart enough to know we got to go to the Bible. So that's what they do. They go to the Bible, and they show up. They say, look, it's in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, right? And then they quote some specific scripture to them. So they, the, the wise men show up to Jerusalem. Where do we go from here? The guys say, oh, yeah, of course, it's in Bethlehem. That's what the Bible says. So let's, let's explore the Bible together. Let's get into the Bible, and let's see more fully what the Bible has to say, okay? So Christians, uh, go to the Bible, use the Bible, know your Bible so that you can do this. Non-Christians, be ready for when people take you to the Bible. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Hang in there. It's a little weird at first because it's this big, intimidating book. Take a deep breath, and someone will hopefully walk you through it, okay? It's actually it's a really good thing. All right, moving on. Here's what I want you to see in Matthew 2.9. When they had heard the king... They set out, and there ahead of them they went to the star that had been seen at its rising until it stopped at the place the child was. So they come to the city, they ask the Jews, the Jews give them the answer. And specifically, one thing you need to know is that the Jews are speaking through a particular person, the king at the time. His name is King Herod. Y'all heard of King Herod before? Maybe? Some of y'all? Okay. King Herod. He's a fascinating character. We can actually go to uh, his contemporary uh, locations right now. If you're going to go with Pastor Bob on the Israel trip in 2017, y'all should. If you haven't, check it out, okay? Uh, It's incredible. You can go and actually see places where Herod built. He was an incredible builder. He was an architect. This is what he did. He built things. And he built things like fortresses. And the reason that he built things like fortresses is because he had a real big anxiety complex. Herod was not what you would consider to be the most healthy of people. In fact, Herod was so nervous about holding on to his power, so adamant about, about uh, keeping himself king, he chose to kill all of his sons, right? You're worried about your son having an uprising? Good way to fix that. Forget trying to be a good parent. Let's just nick him off and take care of that problem at the root, shall we? And so he kills all of his own kids. And you know what? He's really, just to cover his bets, you know, to make sure, he goes ahead and kicks off his wives as well. Poisons a bunch of them. And so he's killing his kids. He's killing his wives. He's king of the Jews, though, right? And so what you really have in Herod, this is important, what you really have in Herod is someone who will talk like a Jew, walk like a Jew, but not act according to the commandments of the Jews and the lifestyle of the Jews, What you have in Herod is a shady character. If you're a non-Christian, listen up. You are going to meet shady characters as you chase down the living God. You're going to meet some. They're going to talk like Christians. They're going to walk like Christians. They would self-describe probably as a Christian. Herod did not. Herod was from the south. He was not even of Jewish blood, but he was still king of the Jews. Uh, But you're going to meet people who are going to say one thing and do another. You're going to meet Christians who will say one thing and do another. Okay? Herod says, hey, go find this king of the Jews so that I too can go and worship him. Yeah, right. That ain't true. Why does he want to find out where the, where, where the little Jewish baby is? Well, he's going to do the same thing that he did to his sons and his wives. Kill him. That's what he's going to do. 
And so you need to know as you continue to walk in your spiritual walk, you're going to meet people who are shady, who are not going to be living and acting in accordance to that which they might preach and teach, okay? You need to know that. All right, quickly, let me talk to Christians for a second. Christians, simple. Don't be a Herod, okay? Thank you. All right, we're getting it. All right, okay, all right, cool, good. Don't be a Herod. Don't be a shady character. Live out the lifestyle Christ has called us to live. Because you're going to have opportunities to witness to the wise men. You're going to have people come into your life. I hope you already have people in your life who are going to be asking these questions. And if you don't match up, if you aren't living in accordance with that which we preach and teach, you are going to confuse them. They're going to figure out, oh, this is a shady character. This ain't right. Something not going on. Right? And you can actually lead them astray from the living God. Okay? Don't be a Herod. So there you go. Non-Christians, remember this. You're going to meet shady characters. People will start quoting the Bible to you. That's okay. Hang in there. Be tenacious. It's a journey. Okay? Hang in there. Be tenacious. It's a journey. All right, here we go. Number three. When you meet him, when you arrive, when you begin to experience the living God, Jesus Christ, embrace the moment. Uh, Non-Christians, you should know this. It's going to be freaky. It's going to be a little weird. It's going to be very emotional, probably. Um, You're not necessarily going to know everything that's happening. If you talk to other Christians who have had some sort of experience of some sort in their life, they're going to try to describe to you what they've experienced. And the only way to really understand what they're saying is to experience it yourself. When you come to the feet of the living God and know him as God, there ain't nothing like it. Christians, amen? Yeah, there ain't nothing like it. And so when you're in that moment, rather than withdrawing, my invitation to you is to embrace it. Step into it. If you're experiencing some overwhelming emotions, if you're experiencing there will be a lot of questions rolling around, you might begin to understand what this whole grace thing is. You're going to learn about forgiveness and what that means in your own life. And when you begin to see this, it's going to change you. It's going to come inside you and move around a bunch of stuff. It's going to feel different, and that's okay. That's okay. When you experience the living God, that's an okay and actually an amazing, good thing. So when you meet him, embrace the moment. All right, Christians. Christians, not everybody is going to have the same experience that you have. This is really important because, again, we do a bad job at this. Not everybody is going to meet the living God the way that you have. Some of you, it happened in a moment, in an instant, in 1982, when you were sitting at the kitchen table with a half-spilled cup of coffee and beans leftovers on your plate. And you remember the exact moment, the exact temperature of the room, what you were wearing, who was there. Some of you, that was your experience. That's great. Hallelujah. Praise God, in that moment, you came to know him in an overwhelming way. Not everyone is going to have the same type of experience that you did, though. 
I'll give myself as an example. I don't know when I met him. I don't know when it happened. It just happened. One day I'm walking around and someone's like, do you know Jesus? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. And then I stopped and I'm like, yeah, no, I really do. Some of you were pan-fried Christians. I'm a stockpot Christian. Okay? I just simmered and marinated a really long time in the Spirit. And it's soaked into my bones. And I don't have a moment. And I'm okay with that. Because I know the living God. I don't know how I know. I can't tell you the exact place that I know. But let me tell you, I know the living God. And I'm not going to presuppose onto you that you need to have the same experience that I did. We do that to non-Christians. Here's what I want you to remember. Christians, here's what I want you to remember. There is one way to forgiveness. There is one way to joy. There is one way to hope and resurrection and restoration. There is one living God. His name is Jesus Christ. And not all of us get to him the same way. There is not one specific way to fall at his feet. Some of us prayed a prayer. Some of us took communion. Some of us were baptized. What is important is the immediacy and the magnificence of the overwhelming knowledge you are in relationship with the living God. There is one living God. You with me? Amen? Okay, good. I've seen, I'll be honest with you, I've had conversations with non-Christians where they were told they have to jump up and down, spin around three times, do a cartwheel, and then say a prayer in a specific way. I was at the airport over Thanksgiving, and I was walking through. Sorry, this guy got to be really quick because I'm already burning time. But it's too good. It's too true. You've experienced this before. I was walking through, and someone said, hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes, I do. Amen. And I kept walking. And, he, and, and, and I'm feeling good, right? And then all of a sudden, I heard behind me, are you sure? It was good. My wife had a hold of me because she's like, oh, no, oh, no. You know, she just kept dragging me along because I'm like, what did you just say to me? Like, I want to go back and have a face with this guy because, yes, I know the living God. I may not have come to experience him the same way that you have, but let me tell you, I have sat at the manger. I have looked at the face of a child who is my Savior. Yes, I know the living God. Okay? All right. All right. Keep moving on. Here we go. A couple of quick things. we got to move fast now. The Bible describes it like this. You might be overwhelmed with joy. That's a good thing. Don't fight it. Embrace it. This is what happened with the wise men. They were overwhelmed with joy. It's an overwhelming experience when you meet the living God. It's great. It's, it's overwhelming, but it's great. Um, here's something you should know. Uh, when you marry into the family, when you get, get to know Jesus, when you get to know the living God, you get his family too. You're going you're gonna to become part of the Christian family and... Uh, uh, this happens when, on entering the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down, paid him homage. When you meet the living God, chances are you're going to meet a bunch of Christians too. That's an okay thing. Welcome to the family. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When you meet the living God and you meet his family, um, you are going to be so overwhelmed that it's going to actually cause you to do things that you didn't think you were going to do before. You're going to start giving of your time. You're going to start giving of your energy. You're going to start turning and making new choices and decisions in your life. Because of how overwhelmed you are by what you've begun to experience, 
you're going to start acting and living differently. And the way that this is expressed in this uh, example is through generosity. You're going to find that if you keep coming to Christ Church, we're big on this one. We're big on generosity. We're big on how that we, we are moved to generosity because we know that God uses our generosity for kingdom work. The reason Jesus is able to escape into Egypt, all the historians agree on this. The reason, remember, he's got a poor mom and dad. His mom and dad don't have two pennies to rub together. How does he afford a cross-continental, across multiple countries, long-distant flight to Egypt? God provided through the generosity of others to save the living God. Did you just hear that? The living God used the generosity of wise men to provide and protect his son, the living God, in the flesh because of the generosity of these wise men. Jesus Christ was saved and fled to Egypt. Huge, huge. Last thing, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, uh, the wise men uh, start this relationship with this living God now. They've come to know, whoa, God just did something incredible through this babe. And then God begins to speak to them. God starts laying things on their heart. God starts communicating with them and, and, and changing them and shifting that the way that they're actually even traveling. God is going to get into your own life when you come to know him and begin to shift the way that you move throughout your life, the way that you interact with people. He's going to start weighing in on your life and speaking to you through scripture, through other people, and he's going to start informing your life. And that's an incredible thing as well. We have the privilege as Christians uh, of, of knowing the living God and being in conversation with him, just as God was with the wise men. All right, so here you go, last thing. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left by their own country by another road. Simply put, um, things won't be the same. Things are going to be different from now on. With the wise men, they come and they experience Jesus Christ, and their lives are not the same. Their lives are different from then on in an incredible way. So, non-Christians, if you're out there and you're listening right now, stick to the journey. Start exploring. Chase down this living God. Christians, as you are listening this morning, help them along the way. Let's pray together.